Well, good morning, Journey. Yeah, that sounds like a January 1st good morning right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is 2023. Unbelievable. I know it seems crazy, but congratulations for being here. Um, I mean, you're the 1030 service, so you have to get up as early, but I know not all of you are responsible. Some of you stayed up late and you still got the church. Listen, you get brownie points, okay? You're doing this right. You're on a great pace for 2023. Let's go. Let's keep going strong, okay? Um, I think of this time as the end of the year, the beginning of the year. A lot of times the conversations we hear and we talk about just in our own circles, on social media specifically, we just really have a time of reflection, right? Of reflection and looking ahead. We reflect on the year that we just came from, 2022, and we're sharing the stories and the images and the highlights of all the things that we did and went through that we're celebrating. But we're also thinking about what didn't go so well. And we're looking ahead at 2023. And we're trying to figure out, man, what can I do maybe uh, to 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 have a better year. You might have had a great year and you're just kind of riding that wave into the next one or maybe 2022 just was not your year and you're just like, God, please let this year be any different than the one we just came out of. A lot of people like to set goals. I like to do New Year's resolutions. A lot of people statistically make it like two weeks and then you no longer have any New Year's resolutions. You know, right? Like you're thinking of all the things, you're getting excited, all this creativity for most of it to fall flat. So it's just a time that everyone gets excited and it's like, let's try this one more time. Whether it's the 20th or 50th time, let's try to make this year count. Let's, make, let's have it be different. As I thought about today's sermon, as what I want to talk to you about, what I think God was leading us to talk about, I was thinking in that realm of, of things, and I thought well, it would be good to maybe approach the year a little bit differently. Maybe from a spiritual standpoint, how can you and I, as followers of Jesus, approach 2023 with a fresh perspective? with a, a different approach than maybe we have before. Maybe there's a way that we can set ourselves up in 2023 to have a year like never before. And so we're going to do that. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that I think will help us do that, but not really only for the year to come, but really for the rest of our lives and how we approach every single day of our life. So if you have your Bibles, flip open to Ephesians 5. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We came prepared with you being unprepared, okay? We will have all the scriptures on slides behind us. All the points I make will be on the slides behind us. If you have a bulletin, there should be notes in there to follow along. Or if you have the JCI app, that also has notes on there that you can fill out and then send yourself via email if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but we will take care of you. Don't worry. You can follow along just fine. But let's look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, and then let's talk about it. Apostle Paul says this. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Those are just the three verses we're going to unpack today. A lot there. And of course, never in one sermon can you do it justice to a text. But we're going to do our best today. Okay. And I came ready to help you. I know it's January 1. I know you were up late. And so I got a simple outline. Okay. Here's the outline. We're going to talk about the what. The why and the how. That's it. We're going to talk about what this passage calls us to, why it calls us to that, and then how do we do it. That's really my aim today is to follow that outline, okay? So we're going to start with first of what in the world is Paul telling us to do in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. And unfortunately, there's two parts of this, all right? There's two halves of this, of this what that we have today. And the first one is this. We should be intentional with our life. We should be intentional with our life. He says to be very careful how we live. The phrase here actually is two Greek words, blepo, which means to see or to look, and akrobos, which means to do something carefully or accurately. He wants us to take care of how we approach our life, 
at a very deep, detailed level. One commentator, theologian, S.M. Baugh, he says it this way, unpacking this phrase. He says, it means to act with strict focus and attention to details. The opposite here would be to conduct the Christian life in a haphazard or thoughtless manner like those who are unwise. So this, this theologian takes these two verses these three verses, and he says there's two different kinds of people, the wise and the foolish. The wise are going to be those that approach life with intentionality, with focus to detail. The other side is going to be a little bit more haphazard, a little bit more aimless, if you will, which is why I used that word intentional because I think the point out of this, this verse is this. We have a call on our life to pursue Jesus intentionally, not aimlessly. We got a call on our life to pursue Jesus intentionally, not aimlessly. I think it's interesting when you look at all the people that set goals in 2023 or any yearly goals, or any New Year's resolutions, a lot of times that has to do with physical fitness or their relationships or their financial situation. They want to get out of some debt. They want to do something new. They want to buy a house. They want to get a different job. They want to do something fun and creative, pick up a new hobby or some weird habit. Like usually people get really creative of what they want to do with the, with the year, but rarely do you see them take that same approach with their spiritual life. I think a lot of times, me personally, but also I've seen over and over again, that we approach the Christian life kind of like a lazy river, which are fantastic things if you've ever been to a lazy river. You've gone to a water park before, you know there's a river that usually circulates the entire water park, and you get an inner tube, you plop that puppy down, you sit yourself in that thing, and you float. You bask in the sun, you bake a little bit, and you enjoy your time. Or I know some of you people like to do float trips or you go and you just go to a river, you throw that thing down and you just float along the river aimlessly with no intent to stop or go anywhere, just wherever it leads you. Relaxing, right? And I know, though those things are enjoyable, that's kind of how I feel like we approach our own spiritual life sometimes. We just kind of want to coast. We just kind of hope that we'll float towards where we want to be. We're pretty intentional with a lot of different areas of our life, usually, or at least we'll try to be. But when it comes to this part, it just kind of seems like we're a little bit more haphazard, a little bit more aimless, a little bit more like we'll get there eventually, hopefully. But here's my thing for 2023. Journey, I don't want to coast in 2023. I don't want to personally coast in my spiritual walk in life with Jesus in 2023. I'm someone who naturally actually will default to that. I won't always be Mr. like, let's go after it. A lot of times I'll find myself being distracted or busy with other things. And so I often find myself coasting. And I don't want to. You want to know why? Because coasting doesn't work. Floating does not work in the Christian life. Look at what D.A. Carson says, talking about this very thing. He says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Just speaking for myself, I have seen this happen time and time again. I have seen that if I'm not careful, I will default to just coasting to just drifting in my walk with Jesus, hoping that I'll eventually figure it out. I'll arrive at a better place than I was before. But that actually never happens. I find myself drifting towards disobedience, compromise, laziness. And so what Paul is calling us to is that we need to be intentional with our life because if we're gonna be the person God is calling us to be in Jesus, we gotta put some work into it. We gotta 
put some effort into that. I know that doesn't sound very fun, but this is exactly what Paul said about his own life in 1 Corinthians 15. Look what he says. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Talking about the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul said, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, and he says, I want you all to know that I am who I am today, praise God, by his grace. But I didn't just get here. I worked harder than anyone else I know, harder than any other disciple or apostle of Jesus. I put the time and effort in to get to where I am today, but don't get it backwards. It was God's grace that empowered me to do it. Here's the point for us today. When we talk about this grace thing, grace eliminates earning but not effort. The Christian life is a lot about grace. The gospel that we live by is a gospel of grace. Amen? That gospel is a pretty straightforward story. In fact, if you're reading our Bible plan that we started today as a church, we read Genesis 1 through 3, the creation story and the account of the fall. We learned and were reminded again of how we got to where we are today. How did this world get so broken? Because sin came in and ruined everything. Ruined creation, ruined us, our relationship with God. We now, when we come into this world, we are not in relationship with God. We're not right standing with him, but we are sinful and broken and at odds with him. And so we need someone to come and reconcile us to him. And thankfully, in God's mercy, when we rebelled and disobeyed, he did not move further away and abandon us, but closer. And he sent his son Jesus to come into the world, live a perfect life, die a death that we deserved, and rose again so that you and me now today can place our faith and trust in him and be made right with God to stand before him, reconciled, redeemed, righteous, and justified. Thank you, Keith. That is the gospel that we, we live by as Christians. It's a gospel of grace. But a lot of times I think that we approach that and we think that's the entry door to the faith. We shut that door and then it's coasting time. That's all the grace thing is really needed. It's, a, it's enough to save us, but that's about it. And the reality is grace certainly saves us, but it also empowers us to live this life, to put effort into it. And Paul is saying that we need to use our life well, to carefully look at every part of it and to use it intentionally, not haphazardlessly, not just floating around, not, not, not just coasting, but with intention. Let me ask you a question. How are you currently right now intentionally pursuing Jesus? How do you plan on doing that in 2023? What does that look like for your life? What has that looked like? And it's okay. No need to be ashamed. You may be someone that says, I have no idea. I have no plan. But if I came to you today and I said, my goal in 2023 is just throw on 30 pounds of muscle. Keep your comments to yourself. And you asked me how I was going to do that, and I would just say, I don't know, I just hope to kind of get there by the end of 2023. You'd say, bro, you got to hit the gym. You got to have a plan. You got to lift some weight. You got to put the work in for that to happen. If I said I had no plan but just pure intention, you'd say you're insane, and you're not going to reach your goal. In the same way, we can't just come in here with a heart full of hope and intent to be great Christians and to grow closer to the Lord and just pray to God that we coast our way there because it doesn't work. We got to be intentional. That's the first thing that Paul calls us to be in this passage. The second part of the what, though, is that we should be wise about God's will. Got to be intentional with our life and how we use it, but we also got to be wise about God's will. Paul says in this verse to do something that I think we all want to do, but don't always know how to do it, which is to understand what the Lord's will is. He says, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. 
I find this frustrating. If you've been in the Christian subculture or world for any length of time, you have heard probably the concept of the will of God or God's will. We talk about it often. Anytime we make a decision or anything in our life takes place, we are always wondering and concerned, is this going to be a part of God's will? Am I making a decision that will keep me in God's will? Am I in God's will? Have I ruined God's will? Have I missed God's will? We think of it as a concept of God's plan and his best for us. So naturally, we should want that. But I don't know if there's any other topic in the Christian world that causes more frustration and worry and stress and fear than this one. And Paul has the audacity to say, make sure you're not foolish, but understand what it is. So how do we do that? How do we understand what the the will of the Lord is? And I think it helps to understand that generally speaking, there's two categories of the will of God. This is not exhaustive, but theologians would take everything in the Bible that you could see of what God does, what he calls us to, his will, and they put it in two main categories. The first one you would see is what they refer to as God's sovereign or hidden will. That describes God's rule and plans over all things that cannot be known or stopped. So God's going to do what God's going to do, and nothing can get in the way of that. Psalm 115.3 says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. No one gets to push back on that. Job 42 says that nothing can stay or frustrate his hand. James 4.13.15 says that you and I should make plans, but submissively, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If the Lord wills, we'll go into this town and make a profit and go here. If he doesn't will, guess what's going to happen? We're not going to do that. I woke up. I didn't wake up. On Christmas Eve at 9 p.m., I had a James 4 moment. My plane got canceled for the next morning to fly out on Christmas to go home with my family. God said, no. I had a James 4 moment there. Someone, I saw a pastor once right on the whiteboard. He said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. How rude. And how relatable. How many times we want to do something and then some circumstance or something has happened that has derailed that plan because we ultimately don't get to call the shots. God's going to do what God's going to do. We don't know what he's going to do, but we know whatever it is, it's going to happen. And that deserves an amen because we want him to do that. Yes? That's one part of God's will. The other one that they would describe is called God's moral or revealed will. This describes God's ways as clearly shown through Scripture, and it can be disobeyed or ignored. To simply put it this way, if we're trying to figure out, okay, what's what, if it's in the Bible, it's revealed. Here it is. If it's not in the Bible, it's hidden, and it hasn't been revealed. And those are the two things that we have to hold in tension of what we see as God's will. And we see some contrasts. One of them can't be stopped, can't be known. The other one is known, and it can be disobeyed and ignored, and oftentimes it is. So with taking those two together, here's my question. Which one do you think you're supposed to worry about? You think you're supposed to worry about the one that we can't know, that is hidden from us, or the one that's been revealed? Because oftentimes I find that we are worrying about the wrong one. And we're spending a lot of time on the wrong one. I love what Moses said at the end of his, near the end of his life as he's preparing the people of Israel to go into the promised land near the end of his journey. At the end of Deuteronomy, he says this. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may follow all the words of this law. Moses says, the things that you don't know, the secret things, they belong to God. Let him deal with that. Don't worry about those things. But the things he's revealed to you and given to you, 
That's your responsibility to carry out and walk in. That's for you to do. Here's the point today. We are not supposed to discern what God plans to do, but what we ought to do. Not try to figure out the things that God has not told us or the answers that he's holding back from us, but to figure out how do we take this book and everything it has in it and how do we lay it over our life and apply it in every situation we find ourselves in. That is what Paul is getting to here. It's a matter of wisdom and discernment. I've been blessed in my walk as a development, as a discipled young man uh, years ago. When I was dating my now wife, I was able to be in a small group with my now father-in-law. I used to be not my father-in-law, but my pastor. And he would often have a rotation of men that he would have a small group with for about 12 to 18 months, pour into them, and then send them out to do the same thing and start afresh with another group of guys. He brought me in as this lowly young man pursuing his daughter. And I was able to, to be under his teaching and walk through books of the Bible and whatnot. And one of those books that we often went to was the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom in the Bible. It's an incredible resource of practical biblical principles that we can apply to everyday situations. And he would say it this way. When we start to read the book of Proverbs, he'd say, this is what wisdom is. Wisdom is simply seeing life from God's perspective. That's all wisdom is. That's how we are to be wise and not foolish, is to look at life from God's perspective. Now, you can't do that unless you have his perspective, unless you know his perspective. And I think Paul is getting to this idea that we would know what this says and then the practice of discernment to figure out, okay, what's the best move here? What is it in my life that I need to do? It's developing what some call the skill of godly living. Something you got to practice that. you got to put work in for I think Paul's talking about this discernment thing because of what he says a few verses before the verse that we're talking about today in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Look what he says. This is just unpacking context of the verse. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then get this, and find out what pleases the Lord. That verse 10 is almost a paraphrase of verse 17. When he says to understand what the Lord's will is, he's saying understand what pleases the Lord. And he gives some descriptors. That, that phrase, find out, can literally mean to test or discern what is worthy. So whenever you have something in your life, a relationship, a job, an opportunity, a hobby, something, an activity, you should be asking, will this thing, is it good, is it righteous, is it true, will it help me accomplish God's will as revealed in Scripture? You say, that's a lot. That's pretty ambiguous. Can you make that a little bit more simple? Yes, I can. Thankfully, Paul wrote another letter to the church in Thessalonica where he gave, I think, the most clearest explanation of what God's will is for you and me and what we should pursue each and every day of our life. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. I'm going to read it like this. In 2023, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Other translations say this, this is, the, this is God's will, your sanctification. Meaning this, that word sanctification, sanctified, means to be made more holy, more set apart, or we just like to say it this way, made more like Jesus. Will whatever in your life, whatever it is, fill in the blank, will it help accomplish that end? That's a way to see life from God's perspective. And that's what he has called us to do. That's what he's revealed to us to be responsible to carry out. Now here's the good news. His revealed will is clearly that, but also his hidden sovereign will is working towards that in a whole mysterious way. You say, how do we know that? Look at Romans 8. 
He says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Look at the next verse. To be conformed to the image of his son. So we get a little insight on what God's doing. We don't know how, we don't know when, but in some powerful, sovereign way, God is working everything in your life and my life for good. What's that good? To be made more like Jesus. Everything that you went through in 2022, everything that you're going to go through in 2023, God has the power to work it together for good to make you more like his son, Jesus. So as you're pursuing it and you're discerning in your life things that are good and not good, helpful, not helpful, things that are wise and unwise, God is also working alongside you to make sure to see this through. Why is that? Because God's will is so much more concerned about who you are than the what's of your life. You read the Bible, it's so much more about the person you're becoming. Really working from the inside out than you doing all the right things. We know this because we got a great example in the Pharisees. Hyper-religious people followed the law to a T, to the strictest form. And Jesus said that they're like whitewashed tombs. They are beautiful on the outside. They look clean. They're following things well, but on the inside they're full of dead bones and bodies. They're full of filth. Because they have the what that is right, but the inside is what really matters to the Lord of who you are becoming and who you're being shaped into. Listen, if God's will is all about the particulars of your life, who you're supposed to marry, where you're supposed to work, where you're supposed to live, what would be really helpful, let's just be honest, is a crystal ball. You give me that bad boy, I'll shake and rub and do whatever i got to do to get the answer and I'll carry that thing out and we'll have a happy day. But as you have probably found out, we don't get a crystal ball. You know why? Because a crystal ball would not make you more like Jesus. It wouldn't make you more holy. And God's after that. He's after who you are. I've heard it said this way. I think this is such a powerful statement. When you are walking in God's ways, you are in the center of God's will. No more need to worry about this. Are you walking in his ways the best you know how? Then guess what? You're in the center of his will, and he's going to get you where he wants you to be. So can we just take a breath in 2023 can we have some freedom to pursue Jesus in a way that maybe we never have felt before? To just simplify it. And let's start with this. I'm not saying we've got to master every word in this book, but let's just start by trying to familiarize ourselves with this as much as we can and apply it to every situation we live in to discern what is best and what is wise. And let's just see where that takes us. Because that's what God is after, for us to be people that can discern what is good and wise. We've got to be intentional with our life and we've got to be wise about God's will. You say, that's all great stuff, Christian, but why? Well, let's look at our verses again. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Look what Paul says. He gives us the why. He says this, be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. The why is right there. We got to make the most of our opportunity. We got to be careful how we live. We have to understand what the Lord's will is because the days are evil. This is pointing to the spiritual state of the world that we live in. You don't have to be a Christian or religious to look around and say the world is messed up. It doesn't take a scientist to see that. You don't have to be a genius or have a PhD. You can look around. You turn on the news. Better, you go on Facebook, on Instagram, YouTube, whatever it is, and you'll soon find this world is utterly broke and sick. 
And Paul's point here is this, that if we aren't careful, if we just kind of coast and float our way through this life, we will be taken away by the world's influence rather than God's. That's the danger here. That's the why he's telling us to do these things because the days are evil. The world is broken. Spiritually speaking, we know the world is not for us, but against us. And one of the unique challenges that we have in our day and age today, culturally in the year 2023, is that we live in a predominantly digital age. Meaning this, most of the time our interaction with people, sadly, is not in person, face to face, but online on the internet. That's just how we live life. There's some good to that. It's not that technology is bad. It's been a beautiful thing that's helped us do some amazing stuff. But with it, it's brought some complications. And currently, the way that we live life is primarily online. Tim Keller is a great pastor, a theologian. He wrote a book called How to Reach the West Again, kind of looking at America right now and just the decline of the church uh, and detailing some of the hurdles that we have to overcome and maybe some things that we can do to help ourselves to continue to reverse the decline of the church. Look what he says about this very thing. He says, the challenges of formation, you could read that as spiritual growth. The challenges of spiritual growth in such a digital culture are considerable. Our traditional models of biblical and spiritual formation through just a few hours of public worship time in a community group are insufficient for countering the impact of 24-7 digital technology throughout the week. Let me bring that down to January 1, 2023 morning. Keller says this. How we go to church once a week, maybe, maybe be a part of a small group for an hour and a half, two hours, get three hours a week, if we're lucky, of church time is not enough to combat the influences that we are surrounded by 24-7 in the digital culture that we live in. There's just no way that you pin that time up against each other and you're thinking, oh, we're going to be okay. To show you this, let me show you a recent study done in 2021 where it took the average times that we spend doing certain activities and then laid it over a lifetime. These are just a few different areas of things that we do and how much time we spend doing them. Doing housework. We spend a year and eight months doing housework. Socializing. A year and 11 months. Just shy of two years. Keep that in mind. Shopping. Two years and two months. Eating and drinking. Three years, seven months. Using social media. Six years and eight months. Watching TV, eight years and four months. You add those two together, you get a whopping 15 years of looking at a screen. And then we get sleep, which says 26 years and five months, and I just, I'm not convinced that's enough still. I could use a few more years on that. 15 years. 15 years currently is how we spend our time today at the end of our life looking through a screen. And unfortunately, not everything that we're watching on the television or on our phone or laptop is the chosen. It's not just church stuff. It's not just the best things in the world. It's not just sermons. So when we look at the the way that our time is distributed, there's just no way that we're looking at this and thinking that we're going to be okay by going to church once a week. Because the world is not pushing us to be better Christians, but pushing us away from God. And if we're not intentional with how we live, we'll be formed by whatever has our attention. And the sad thing, too, is statistically right now, the average family goes to church once a month. So forget about being consistent every week. We're talking about, for most people, getting to church once a month, one hour a month, compared to all the other times that they're taking in other influences. Keller's saying it's not sufficient. There's just no way we can counteract that. Here's why that's important. Look how Paul explains how we are changed in a good way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So if you remember Romans 8, 29, God's will for us is that we become conformed to the image of his son. Here, we're being changed from one image to another, closer to more like Jesus by doing what? Beholding him, contemplating him, spending time with him. That is how we are changed into more like Jesus. But here's the spiritual principle that Paul is teaching us. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. Whatever you are watching and listening to, whatever you're thinking about, reading, whatever you steep yourself in, whether passively or intentionally, is forming you as a person. That's not just Bible talk. That's like psychology. That's just a reality of when you are submerged in a culture or an environment, you will be formed by that environment and culture. And so if you are not intentional by what you are surrounding yourself with, you'll be formed by whatever that happens to be. Ideally, Paul's saying that you're sitting every day and every moment beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at Jesus, and you're becoming more like him each and every day. But that just isn't the case, is it? So we got to do something about that. What do we do? Do we throw away our phones? Do we delete social media? Do we take a sledgehammer to every television and computer screen that we own? Maybe. I don't know. You got to decide that for yourself. Some people take a break from those things. That's helpful. Some people do remove that from their household. That could be helpful, but it's only half of the solution. Think of it as like getting the cavity and going to the dentist. I apologize for any of you that hate the dentist right now, or if you're a dentist and you know that you're hated because we fear you. You go to a dentist, you get a cavity. What do they do? They scrape and drill into that tooth and they remove all the guck out of it. And then what do they do? Send you home with a hollow tooth? I hope not. If they do, you have a lawsuit on your hands. No, they get all the bad stuff out and then they fill it with the right things to make it strong and healthy again. So if you want to take some action in your life of, man, I'm, I already know the things in my life that I need to remove that are, I'm wasting my time on. Not just social media, anything it could be that is pulling you away from Jesus or dr making you drift away. What you have to be intentional about is replacing it with the right things. Because in my life, when I've done that, I've removed stuff. You know what's crazy? I find a way to busy myself with other things. If you're more of a person that likes to be a little bit more lazy, you'll find a way to be more distracted with something else. If you're someone that's a doer, you will get really busy doing all sorts of other things unless you have a plan and you're intentional and wise with how you use your time. I mentioned a little moment ago, but we are, as a church today, started a Bible reading plan. We don't read the whole Bible in a year. I know a lot of people have not done that. A lot of people don't read the Bible every day. So you've never read maybe even a whole book of the Bible. And you're thinking, I would love to, but that seems really, really intimidating. Well, one of the things that you can introduce in your life is this discipline of reading the Bible every day with us as a church family. And today we release a podcast with Pastor Christian to help you feel prepared to do that. Because that could be a lot. That could be a large thing to, to kind of take on to read the entire Bible in a year. So he did a thing where he just shot a really helpful tool to give you some tips and tricks of how do you approach the Bible and read it in a simple way, if you've never done that before, how do you take the whole Bible in a year and read it? And listen, I'd say this, try it out. You may not do it perfectly. You may get halfway through. Well, I'd say half of the Bible in a year is better than no Bible in a year. You might get a quarter of the way through, still better than none. You might drop the ball and you may no longer do it every single morning. You might get off track. Don't wait till 2024 to jump back on. Wait till the next morning because you can always jump back in. 
But if you're going to remove some stuff in your life, you've got to be intentional about adding the right things. And we want to help you as a church to do that. Because this is arguably one of the most formidable things that you can do in your daily life to kind of push back. Because the days are evil. And Paul is saying that if we're going to coast, we're going to float, we're in a dangerous situation. A story I heard about this that really, I think, illustrates this point is about a couple who years ago went down to Florida and they went off, they got a boat and they went off the coast a few miles off of Florida and they started to do some fishing. Eventually the wife uh, wanted to go swimming so she jumped into the ocean and she's starting to swim around and finds herself stuck in a current. So she starts hollering and screaming for her husband. He hears her, he jumps in, gets to her. Well, now they're both stuck in a current. So they don't know what to do. So they devise a plan. The plan was to be for the wife to conserve energy and strength and just kind of stay there and float. The husband was going to swim against the current and try to get back to the boat so he can rescue her. He was a championship swimmer. He had a pretty good shot, so he starts going at it. And he does so for six hours of swimming against this current. Thankfully, eventually, that current breaks up. He gets to the boat exhausted. The sun has gone down. He can't find his wife, so he returns ashore. He gets a, a, a search party together the next morning. They go out as fast as they can, and they luckily find her alive 20 miles away. That right there is a picture of what Paul's talking about here. That's a picture of us drifting, of what happens if we're going to coast. We're not going to drift towards more being like Jesus. We're not going to coast towards God's will. We'll find ourselves 20 miles away. Because to coast is to drift. We're not in a lazy river. The world that we live in is a current that is pulling us away and pushing us away from God every moment it gets. And if we are not going to swim by grace, we won't find ourselves closer to him, but much further away. And man, maybe you walked in the day and you, this is the last place you'd find yourself in 2023 on January 1 in a church. Maybe you're someone that you have a story like this, that you started off following Jesus, you had a strong season, eventually things got derailed, and now all of a sudden you feel like you're like the woman. You're 20 miles away from him, and you don't know how to get back. The good news of the gospel, again, is that there's always an opportunity to come back. I like to think that if we are stuck in this current that we're swimming against in the world, there's always a side beside us, a stream of grace that we could jump in and turn back to the Lord. Because James 4 says that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And I don't think it's a meet me halfway kind of thing. I think it's as soon as we turn and repent from the things that we've been following and we turn to him, he's right there. We can always come back. But it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some repentance for us to turn away from those things that we find ourselves in the middle of and to start swimming by grace. So we know the what. We understand the why. So now how about the how? Christian, how do we do this? Ephesians 5, 15, 16, it says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's how you do it. Making the most of every opportunity. That phrase could be literally translated to redeem or buy back the time. Paul is saying this. Whatever that we've lost, whatever that we're being taken away by, the way that we fight back is by buying back that time and redeeming it so that we can use it for what God has called us to do. To not just let us lose our life in the time that we've been given, but to use it for God's glory and his purposes. 
you say, okay, what does that look like practically? I got good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm not going to answer that today. I wish I could, I don't have enough time. The good news is we're going to take five weeks as a church and talk about that very thing starting next week. We have a series called Thrive where we're going to be unpacking 2023 initiatives and goals that we're going to do as a church family, one of which I've been saying today, reading the Bible in a year. We just want to be a church that follows Jesus well. And we understand that we don't do that alone. You need other people. And so we're going to take five weeks and unpack what it means to have a strong Bible reading plan, prayer, fasting, spiritual community, generosity, other things of how we can buy back the time and make the most of every opportunity in 2023. So if you want to be someone today, you say, I want, to, I want to redeem the time I've lost. I want to use my life well. I want to be intentional. I want to be wise. I don't want to be taken by the current of the world. Then you're going to want to come back next week and dive in with us as we as a church family pursue Jesus in a, a new and fresh way in 2023. Journey, I don't want to coast in this next year. I know my own heart and my tendencies. I'm not going to be perfect at it. But I'm going to do the best I can by God's grace to swim against the current, to pursue Jesus intentionally. This is what he's called me and you to do. Paul says in Ephesians 5, to be very careful in how you live in 2023. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Let this be our prayer today as we look forward to this new year. Let's pray that this would be a reality for us, that we together will make the most of every opportunity. What has God spoken to you today? As we close, we now have a time of reflection. We'll have a few prompts on the screen behind me. And all we want you to do is to sit here in this moment in a time of prayer reflection. And you follow the prompts on the screen behind me that are meant to really be a conversational piece between you and the Lord. It's going to ask you some questions. And what we want you to do is to respond in prayer. And just to be honest in this time, based off everything that we've heard and unpacked in Scripture, this is kind of the so what now. This is the time for you to get along with the Lord and say, all right, well, what do I need to do? What have you spoken to me today? So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have a time to reflect, and then I'll come back and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you so much for today. Can I pray in this time that you would speak clearly. Everything that you've said up until now, Lord, I pray that you would take that you would help apply it to our, our lives and our hearts. Lord, for each and every person in this room, Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand what is they need to do. What's their next step? How do they need to start this year right? Speak, Lord. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.